Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, as this chapter is Jesus unsealing uh, the first six seals on that scroll that we talked about last week in Revelation chapter 5, which was the title deed to the earth, which in one sense it kind of unleashes uh, him going forward into the future to end all evil. It's God ushering in the tribulation period, which will bring judgment on the world, and it will then uh, see God ministering to the Jews. It's the last week in the 70 week of Daniel, described in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And so the first four seals are the first four horsemen of the apocalypse. We're going to see in, in those first four more, more or less a what, like what's going to happen in, in the tribulation period. And then the fifth seal is the, the, the tribulation saints underneath the altar, and we're going to see more or less the why. They're like, how long, Lord, holy and righteous? And, and we're going to see why God judges. And then the last seal of today, we're going to see the wow. Like it's not just going to be a little thing. I mean, we're talking about earthquakes. We're talking about meteor showers. We're talking about an earthquake so big that islands are going to disappear. The mountains are going to fall. You know, I thought it was interesting how we had this earthquake last, uh, what was it, just a few days ago, right? And isn't it cool? I feel special. El Monte is famous now. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about we made national news, you guys. And so... Um, I don't know, like, these are things, these are like birth pangs. When a woman is ready to give birth, she starts feeling whatever it is, the Braxton Hicks contractions or just different things. You know, the baby starts to move a, a little bit more. Things start to happen. She drops a lot of things. And so what, what we're seeing in the fires and the, the pandemic and the unrest and the move towards globalism in earthquakes... All that is God saying, hey, it's about time. And we, no man knows the day or the hour, but we know, according to the scriptures, the seasons. And so believe it or not, before we get into uh, Revelation 6, I want to take you guys to a few chapters of the Bible. First one in Luke chapter 4. Because I kind of want to set it up a little bit. And I just want you to read these. Sometimes it's good to read it yourself, you know. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus went to his hometown, it says in verse 16, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Isn't that beautiful? To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so the Lord goes into the synagogue and, uh, you know, when in those days the Jews would provide opportunities for people to read. They gave him the scroll of Isaiah. He opens up the scroll and he reads from this portion right here, which we know now to be Isaiah 61. 
And so he reads it, the beautiful ministry of the Messiah, how he's the anointed one, you know, to preach the gospel to the, to the poor and to do these things, to heal the brokenhearted, right? And then as he reads verse 19 again, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so again, he reads from Isaiah. He stops there in verse 19 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He sits down and he says, hey, today it's fulfilled. Okay, now I want you to go to Isaiah 61. And I want you to read what Jesus was reading. And so Isaiah 61, in verse 1, this is what he was reading. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And remember, when we read in Luke 4, that's where he stopped, huh? But notice what's next. And the day of vengeance of our God. See, Jesus stopped there, uh, verse 2. For us, it's a comma. In the Hebrew, there's no punctuation. Jesus stopped right in the middle uh, of this, this saying because that was the first coming. The first coming is the acceptable year of the Lord. The first coming is the opportunity to be saved in this way. But, but then the second coming is what we read there in verse 2. It is the day of vengeance of our God. You know, and that's why uh, uh, today is a day of salvation, you guys. I pray that, you know, if you're, not, if you're here and you're not sure whether you're, whether you're a Christian or not, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, it says you want to make sure that you're saved. You want to make sure you're calling an election sure. Because what's going to happen during the tribulation period, it, you guys, we know we went through the pandemic and, you know, there was a shortage of toilet paper or Clorox wipes or whatever, things like that. You know, um, we're starting to see a little bit more, you know, the riots in the streets. And we're talking about, you know, where the police really, if, they, if things were unleashed, they wouldn't really be able to protect you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, you know, when that happens, you know, I'll call so-and-so and work out a plan. The cell phones won't even work. I mean, there will be nowhere to hide during the tribulation period because it's not the vengeance of man. It's not even the vengeance of the devil. It is the vengeance of God. Uh, imagine someone raping someone. Imagine someone murdering someone. Imagine someone doing horrible things and just you, you, there's no retribution whatsoever. Today's the day, today's the acceptable year of the Lord. But the day of vengeance is coming. And so my prayer is that we would take these things to heart. Turn to Daniel chapter 9, if you would. Daniel chapter 9. And verse 24, it says, 70 weeks 
are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now, the word weeks is literally the word seven. Seventy-sevens are determined for your people and for your holy city. So the angel uh, Gabriel is talking to Daniel, right? And so when he says your people, who's he speaking about? He's speaking about the Jews. Your, your holy city, he's speaking about Jerusalem. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Notice he says to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. I mean, that right there, that's big. That's, that's heaven, right? To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And so basically he says, hey, this is 70 year, uh, 77 things, 77 year periods in order for this to all be wrapped up. And so he says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So what's seven plus 62? It's 69, right? So... When the, the day comes for them to go and say, hey, I want you to go rebuild, you know, Jerusalem, rebuild. March 14th, 445 B.C. From that day, you have to, you have to calculate 69 seven-year periods, 173,880 days. And that takes you to the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. So the Lord gives us that prophecy there, that day, until they, they, they go rebuild, until Messiah the Prince, there's going to be 69 seven-year periods, right? And so he says again, uh, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. That's speaking of salvation. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And so, remember, there's the first, the seven, then the 62. So after that 62 or 69-week period, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. See, the Jews should have known that their Messiah would be killed. Because it says right here so clearly, so vividly, unmistakably, that the Messiah would be cut off. They knew what that meant. It meant that he would die. But it wasn't for himself. Who did he die for? He died for us. Notice what it says. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now you might want to make note of the prince who is to come. Because that's the Antichrist. And so the people of the prince who is to come. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. And until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And so when you study Jewish history in the year 70 AD, it was the Romans. It was Titus. It was those people. They were the, the people of that prince who is to come. They're the ones that destroyed Jerusalem. A million Jews were slaughtered. And so the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, he will rise from Europe. He will rise from there. Now, whether or not he's Roman or Italian, I, I kind of think that maybe he might even be Jewish coming from Europe there in that area. We're not sure, but that's the Antichrist. It says in verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant 
with many for one week. Now that covenant is a peace treaty in the Middle East. And so somehow the Antichrist is going to be instrumental in ushering in some type of peace treaty in the Middle East. And, you know, we see things going on now. Um, right now, there's peace treaties between Israel and some of the United Arab nations, but not the Palestinians. And so more than likely, the Antichrist is going to bring about a peace treaty even between them. But, but can you see the signs? Can you see that things are kind of happening right now? It says right here, but in the middle of the week, and that's the middle of that Remember, we we're talking about 70 weeks. Now we got the last week. This is the tribulation period. The last three and a half years are what's called the great tribulation period because in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And Jesus talked about this. Paul talked about this that halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist will go into the temple saying that he is God because that's the one thing that the devil has always wanted is world dominion and worship. He can't, he can't help himself. And as he's there, all hell breaks loose. So that's the last three and a half years of tribulation. That's the abomination of desolation. And so... Good to know these things. One last verse I want you to turn to is in Matthew chapter 24 before we dive into Revelation 6. And verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So over the years, there have been hundreds of individuals who have claimed to be the Christ. Um, I, I think it was David Koresh. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but one of the unique things about David Koresh is that he claimed to be the only one worthy to open the scroll. Interesting. So you got this. You got these guys saying they were the Christ. But ultimately, what Jesus is saying right here is there is going to be an Antichrist. And that's the first horseman we're going to see today. But then he says right here in verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In other words, you still got seven years going. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So the, the wars, the, the taking away or stripping away of peace, that's the second horseman we're going to see today. The second of the four apocalyptic horsemen. And then it says right there that there will be famines. That's the third. And then you've got pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And watch how you're going to see, when you go through Matthew 24, it's really fascinating the way that it lines up with the horsemen in Revelation chapter 6. And so I just wanted you to read that. Maybe later you might be able to review it yourself again. But now let's go to Revelation 6. And we read here in verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, 
and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now in chapter 5, we saw the search for someone worthy to open the seven-sealed scroll in order to execute an end to evil, to go forward with God's grand scheme of things. It would be the ultimate transition of all pro power and property to the rightful owner. And that scroll was a legal document in the courts of heaven. It was a title deed to the earth. And so as we read that chapter, we saw that the only one worthy to open and unseal the scroll was Jesus, the lamb who had been slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who won the war by paying the price, having been nailed to the cross on that hill called Calvary, where the infinite God bore our sins and died for us. So here we see the lamb, he opens the first seal. You can visualize the scroll, and now the first seal is opened, and now it's opened up a little bit, right? And so one of the four living creatures, he, 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 louds, he, he cries out with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. So God wants us to come and see, and that's exactly what John does. And when you look at that, we see that the Lord here is speaking to us. The Lamb opens the first seal. John looks and he sees a white horse. And we're going to see it's the first of four horses. God wants you to know this. Sometimes people, they read the book of Revelation and they think, oh, it's too uh, complicated. It's too uh, mysterious. There's no way that I can really understand it. But that's a lie from the enemy. It takes a little research. It takes a little, um, you know, this hunger. But he wants you to come and see. And so the first thing we see is this white horse. And uh, when John sees, we're going to see uh, in Zechariah chapter 1, 7 through 17, there are other horses that are kind of similar described in prophecy. And they represent God's mission, his movement and activity from heaven to earth in order to accomplish his purposes. And even though we're going to see God might not be the instrument of judgment, ultimately we're going to see in the great tribulation that he is the source of judgment. And so I, I like what Ron Rhodes said. He said that the horses are metaphors for the forces God uses to accomplish his sovereign purpose. So here, John, when he looks, he sees that the one who sat on the white horse, he had a bow, but he doesn't mention an arrow, and they usually go together. We see that a crown was given to him, but what we find is it's a different crown than what the crown that Jesus wears. And it's interesting to look to see that the crown was given to him. Basically, his authority is a gift. He, he becomes the leader, the ruler of the world. He's exactly what this ungodly, globalistic world is looking for. And you start talking to or, or just researching or listening to the, the dialogue the narrative that's going on in the world today, especially amongst these liberal leaders, uh, the things that are popular, and they are all interested, they are all hungering for, they are all following the devil's plan 
for a one world government, for globalism. They're no longer interested in borders. They're no longer interested in nationalism. Why? Because that's always been the devil's plan, right? And so he gets his authority. It's given to him as a gift because people in the world are so crazy. They want um, someone to lead them who kind of like they say solves all their problems. The horse is white and some might mistake it to be Jesus who at the end of the tribulation period does return on a white horse in Revelation 19.11. But, you know, this is not the Christ. It is the Antichrist. There are similarities, but that's the whole point of the Antichrist. He wants to look like Jesus Christ. You know, we read earlier that Jesus said in Matthew 24, 5, that many would come in his name. He told the Jews in John chapter 5, verse 43, that I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And that would be the initial receptivity of the Jews of that Antichrist. Even John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse, 11, uh, verse 18, Little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And so there's a spirit of Antichrist now, but one day the Antichrist will come. You see, world dominion is the goal of the Antichrist. Why is the horse white? Well, the horse is white becomes because he initially comes peacefully. Warren Worsby said this, We would expect the Antichrist to resemble the Christ because Antichrist is Satan's great imitation. Even the Jews who ought to know the scriptures will be deceived by him. This great deceiver will come as a peaceful leader holding a bow but no arrow. The Antichrist will solve the world's problems and be received as the great liberator. I mean, as things escalate, as our world worsens, as governments, as cities are not able to control the people, don't you think that they might relinquish the control to the one who is able to bring peace? Warren Worsby summar summarizes it this way. He said, the world ruler begins his conquest of the nations by peacefully taking control. He has a weapon, but no ammunition. And men are saying peace and peace and safety. Satan usually declares peace before he declares war. You know, it's interesting when you study the, the crazy world leaders throughout history, the one in particular, Adolf Hitler. You know, he, he made some moves, he invaded a few nations, and next thing you know, there were, it was Great Britain and, and France and others were concerned, and so they went and they said, hey, let's talk to this guy, let's see if we can talk some sense into him. They came back, they thought, oh, we've, we've got peace now. The guy got off, the, the prime minister of Great Britain, he got off the airplane and said, we have peace with Adolf Hitler. Little did he know what was up his sleeve. And the same will be true of the Antichrist. He's going to come in and he's going to look like the answer. So, you know, the white horse, so beautiful, answering all the problems, peace in the Middle East, that covenant for the last seven years. But the Bible says when they say peace and peace, then there is that sudden destruction in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. You know, he does have a crown here, but the crown, the Greek word is Stephanos, and it speaks of a laurel wreath. 
the crown that Jesus wears in Revelation 19 is a diadema, and that's speaking of the king's crown. We see that the Antichrist has a bow, no arrow, but Jesus, when he comes back, he has a sword. And so there are similarities, but don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that this is Jesus. No, this is the Antichrist. The second seal, we read in verse 3, is when peace is taken away from our planet, our world. It says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So when Jesus opens the second seal, the second living creature invites John to come and see. And it's at this time that the true colors of the Antichrist come out. This time the horse is not white. This time the horse is fiery red. It's the same color described in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, as the great fiery red dragon. Peace is taken from the earth. Worldwide war begins. You know, when Jesus' uh, uh, prophecy and the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark chapter 13, he describes this as uh, uh, nation against nation, uh, kingdom against kingdom, wars that are taking place. And so not only is it, uh, you know, countries, but the Greek word is ethnos. It's ethnicities. And so this is what's going to happen as there's this racial craziness that goes on during this time. What we find is that this red is symbolic of blood. Uh, NIV says he has a large sword. The NLT says he has a mighty sword. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. The NET says it's a huge sword so that people would butcher one another. You know, and I, and I think that maybe if I were to tell you this uh, a year ago, two years ago, I mean, for us in America, it doesn't hit home as much as it might in other countries. But now, as we're seeing these things happen right in front of our eyes, you know, where you got someone come up to a police car and you're just, they're just guys are just sitting there and they'll shoot them. I mean, we, you guys, one, one of the things we're learning is even our news you know, we thought there was a time when, you know, if we wanted to know what's going on, all you got to do is turn on channel two or four or seven, and they'll give you the, you know, the balanced story, the full story. Absolutely not. It's, it's just gotten so crazy. You know, it's almost like if you want to know what's going on, you got to go on YouTube. You have to go on some of these other channels or social media, things like that, because the people that are getting killed, these churches that are being burned, these things that are taking place, that's not on Channel 7. And so all these butchering, all this murder, all this killing, we're getting a, a little bit of, hey, this can, we're, we're experiencing now, this can actually happen. And that's what happens when God judges. And a lot of what God is doing at this time is he's just, you know, removing his aspect of protection. I'll tell you what, do you know who the church is? The church is the salt and the light of the world. The church is the salt and the light. Salt in those days was a preservative. The light would help us in the midst of the darkness. So you take away the preservative from the moral decay of society, 
when the church is taken out in the rapture you take away the church and the bible talks about how you know the the restrainer is the holy spirit and i believe working through the church and so when you take out the church when we get raptured out all this stuff i mean it makes perfect sense and that's what we can see is going to happen you know, we're going to see the parallels as we go through the Olivet Discourse. The third uh, seal in verse 5, it says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so again, uh, these are real things. Jesus uh, opens a scroll. The third living creature invites John to come and see. And I believe he invites us to come and see. I want you to see what's going to happen in the future. You need to know this, Manny, because if I put you there during the last days, you need to make sure that you live the gospel, that you share the gospel, because not only do we not want people to go to hell, we're talking about hell on earth. You know, this right here, uh, it all kind of just follows. First, you got the Antichrist with a pseudo peace. Then you have uh, the Antichrist taking away the peace, and there's war, and people are dying. And then you guys know as a result of a lot of these things, there's going to be a scarcity of supplies. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, and I'm sorry if this sounds insensitive, but, you know, there were things like toilet paper and paper towels and certain things that were not available. And this just little teeny pandemic that we've had, imagine what would happen in a time like this. When the third seal is open, scarcity and famine hit hard at the arrival of the black horse, and the scales are really scandalous. Imagine paying... A denarius. Now, a denarius was a day's wage. So you have to work all day long for one decent meal. That's how much you're earning. All day long for one decent meal. Or you can work all day long for the barley. And then the barley was the poor man's meal. And so that would feed three people. The other one feeds a decent meal, feeds one person. And so how do you survive? How, how are you going to pay the rent? How are you going to get gas? How will you survive when all the money that you're making, it goes to one day's meal? And that's what we're seeing here. That's what's going to happen in those days. Jesus said it would happen, right? For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. You won't be able to go to McDonald's. You won't be able to go to 7-Eleven and get the chips that you want. You won't be able to go and find the food anywhere. You know, we take it for granted. You know, the truck's going to bring everything and, the, you know, everyone's going to load up and we're good. Absolutely not. I mean, it's going to be crazy what happens. Wiersbe said the color black is often connected with famine. And famine and war, they go together. A shortage of food will always drive up prices and force the government to ration what is available. To eat bread by weight is a Jewish phrase indicating that food is scarce. And you can read Leviticus 26, 26. You know, we got a taste of this during the long lines and the shortages. 
during this pandemic, but please understand, it was God's way of saying that that's what's ahead, and it's nothing in comparison to what will happen during the Great Tribulation period. Now, here he mentions, don't, uh, don't harm the oil and the wine, and more than likely, that is in reference to the luxuries that will still be enjoyed by the elite. And so, across the board, you know, you get barley, you get one loaf of bread a day, but for those elite, for a few there in the rich, they'll have their luxuries. Uh, the fourth seal, it says in verse 7, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And so you got the, the white horse, the pseudo piece. You have the red horse, which really is about blood and war. You know, you have the black horse that is scarcity. Uh, food's going to be hard to come by. But then you have this pale horse. And I don't know, some say more of a yellowish green color. We don't know for sure. But right here we see that the, the power is given uh, to kill with the sword, hunger, death, and by the beasts of the earth. You know, it's interesting uh, how he mentions death followed by Hades. And so death, in one sense, is a physical death. But Hades, we know, is a spiritual death. It's that under realm. It's that place described in Luke chapter 16, the compartment of the unrighteous. And that place called Hades is where everyone went prior to uh, the cross. And then there were two compartments, Abraham's compartment of the righteous and then the unrighteous. And now it's all being filled up with those who die. But those who go to Hades, one day the Bible says that Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. And so now you have these horses really giving us the agenda of the devil. It's always been that, John 10.10, 10, to steal from God, to kill, and to destroy forever. And so that's the agenda of the enemy. And what we see right here is a sentence of this seal allows death in many forms, through famine, through violence. And it even mentions the beasts of the earth. Notice it says right here that one-fourth of the earth will die. And so today, maybe we're a little under 8 billion people. Think about this. Two billion people dead. One out of every four dies. That's just the beginning of the tribulation period. You'll see death everywhere. You know, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is, is the beasts that are mentioned here. Now, literally, it's a four-footed animal. And uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. He's a great uh, prophecy teacher. And he mentions that more than likely, believe it or not, because we think of the beasts, we think I'm going to get eaten by a bear you know, or a lion or something. Maybe there is something to it. But he actually uh, says that these beasts, these four-footed creatures, are in reference to rats. Rats that will carry the disease. Rats that were responsible for the bubonic plague, where in Europe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think 20% or more died. And so 
that's the kind of stuff that's going to take place. And so the first four horses, in one sense, are, are just like a what. What's going to happen? And so we're, we're seeing this, and, and I think that, you know, some people are, are you know, they, they start thinking about just general things like this, just generally speaking. And they're like, hey, I'm going to go get some guns. And I'm going to go get some food that will last me a long time. And, you know, I'm going to, whatever, build a shelter, you know. And you just kind of start thinking of stuff like that. And you know what? Maybe it is the right thing to do. Because, I mean, if you're in the tribulation period, it won't help you. But if we're leading towards things like this, believe it or not, it might. So the Lord has to show you those things because just as that great earthquake is going to come, we got little earthquakes now. This, this, is what, this is what's ahead. God, there's labor pains. God is giving birth to a new earth. And we're beginning to see it. So the first four horses are like, are like what's going to happen. But then the, the fifth uh, seal is why it's going to happen. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. And so these are souls that are under the altar, apparently put to death by the forces of the Antichrist for the same reason that John had been exiled to live on the island of Patmos. Notice again uh, what it says in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And so if you go back to chapter 1 real quick, you're going to see that this is the same reason that John was in the island of Patmos. It says in verse 2, speaking of John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so these are those who are slain for their testimony. Testimony of who? Testimony of Jesus. Look, look at verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so during the tribulation period, there will be many who were slaughtered. 144,000 Jews are going to be witnesses like Paul the Apostle. There will be others. And so we're going to see that. And, and when they're there, they just ask, how long, Lord? How long? People still have a sense of time in the afterlife. And it's interesting, Henry had read that verse earlier, how long? The answer, you know, we wonder, God, how can you be so long-suffering? But God will not always strive with men. Eventually, we know the vengeance, the day of vengeance, will come. Vengeance belongs to God, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Paul quoted it in Romans 12, verse 19. 
uh, I want you to turn to a passage in Isaiah 63, if you would. And notice what we read in verse 1. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Now, you know, this is pretty cool. It's pretty intense right here. How um, the, we're going to see Jesus. He's just about to judge. Who's coming? Who is this judge? But before, even before that, He's the one mighty to save because that's what he wants. He would rather save us. But notice what it says. It says, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? He says, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of re my redeemed has come. I mean, you look at this, and there's a million other passages that we could turn to. They're like, how long, Lord, until you avenge, avenge us? And, and, and the Lord says, rest a little longer. Um, the day will come when all wrongs will be made right. When all justice will be served, when peace and righteousness will reign, one day God will judge the world. There's that vengeance there. You know, why? Why? Look again at Revelation 6. It's interesting because these guys, they know it, right? They say there in verse 10, How long, O Lord, holy and true. See, see, that's why there must be judgment. Remember what Billy Graham said? If God doesn't judge America, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, how can God judge America? When you read the principle that is described in the, in the Bible, Abraham said, Lord, will you judge the righteous with the wicked? And God said, no, absolutely not. But, but America, the things that we're doing, the babies that we're killing, all that's going on, it must be judged. And so the only answer is the rapture where God takes out his church and then he unleashes his wrath. And that's exactly what we see in the Bible. Why does God do it? Because of his holiness. You know, there are some people who say, I can't believe God would do this and why? And, and, and those are people who do not understand the holiness of God. Holiness is his overriding attribute. Holiness is the only attribute that's repeated over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He never says love, love, love. He never says grace, grace, grace. Because he's holy, he must judge. And so we read in verse 12, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. 
and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? And so, remember I was telling you in the beginning, there's kind of three sections. First is the what, like what's going to happen. Then the why, like why is it going to happen because he's holy. Now you look at this and you're just like, wow, <laughs> wow. That earthquake the other night, they say it was only like a four something. or I don't know exactly what it was, but did you guys feel it? I mean, it was like, it was like, whoa, man. Um, I don't know, there's just something about it that, is kind of it just kind of it shook me up man <laughs> i was like whoa but that's just a little taste of this great earthquake right here uh it says the mountains are gone you, you the sun is black volcanoes will erupt uh the atmospheric changes uh when it says the sky is rolled up and receded like a scroll is probably what's going to take place in response to the meteor showers you know, and I was reading on this, and I'm sorry, you guys, I don't want to, I, I would, I would read a lot more to you. I'll put it in my notes for those of you who want to download the notes. All the, the, the things that have happened to our world and how um, in certain years, certain meteors just missed planet Earth in 1989 and others to other years, not too far. But if one of those meteors would have hit, you know, uh, one of these uh, towns, we're talking about a radius of 100 miles of damage. We're talking about things like nuclear uh, capabilities. We're talking about this is what's going to happen during that time. And so um, when you look at this, it's, you know, I don't know. I guess the main thing for me this morning is, is I want to just challenge you. Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're saved? Because if you're not saved, you know for sure you're going to get left behind. But i got to be honest with you. Are you truly surrendered as a Christian? Because if you're not, you might get left behind. I don't know how it all works for sure, but I do know the last two churches we studied were the Church of Laodicea and the Church of Philadelphia. And the Church of Philadelphia was small. They were a faithful church, and they were promised to get raptured. But the church of Laodicea were, was a half-hearted church. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were lukewarm. So let me tell you guys this, and I think you guys know this probably just as much as I do, that most people in the United States of America who claim to be Christian, most of them are not. And even those who are Christians, you would probably agree with me, most of them are lukewarm. They have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And when Jesus comes, the big question is, will you be left behind? Well, some will say, well, I'm sure Jesus is going to take everybody and I'm, you know, I'm going to get saved by the skin of my teeth. Why would you want to chance it? These are not days to be messing around. 
in any way, in, with any sin, well, I don't get high, I don't get drunk, you know, I don't look at pornography. Yeah, but what about covetousness? What about pride? What about lying? What about strife? Sin is sin. So my encouragement to you in light of all these things is to make sure that you're right with God. Like I said earlier, in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 10, you want to make your calling and election sure. How? By the way that you live your life. You know, you, you look at this, and all these guys thought they could hide, and they'd be good, and the rich men, and the mighty men, and the politicians, and all those guys, and they can't. They can't. You know, they, they ask the mountains and rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne and, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? The wrath of the Lamb? I mean, who's afraid of a Lamb? <laughs> but in this case, we know that he is worthy to judge us because he was slain for us. So in closing... I pray that we would know what we need to do and that we would go forward in our walk with him. He asked the question right here, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? And the answer is only those who stand in Christ and only those who stand for Christ. Which would you prefer? the wrath of the lamb to squash you or the blood of the lamb to wash you you have to accept jesus as your lord and savior submit yourself to him and as you do we will escape these things